With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, okay. Well, welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, coming to you with a, a long overdue episode. Uh, we never regrouped after the end of the season, so we're here to do kind of a, uh, a post-mortem, really. Um, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Kenny Poon. So let's get this over with. Let's talk Knicks. So we are taping this on the evening of Sunday, May 1st. And, uh, and like I said, I'm joined by Kenny Poon. Uh, before we jump into the Knicks talk, Kenny, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing good, Tom. I'm doing good. Uh, as you know, I just moved. Left the fair city of New Haven, Connecticut, which was a delightful place. I really enjoyed it. Uh, moved to Stamford, Connecticut. So uh, today, or yesterday, was the last day for moving. So wrapped up the move. Everything is now in my new place. And I uh, will slowly organize and unpack over the next 8 to 12 years. That's my general plan. Uh, how are things over there, Tom? I know moving is not a fun thing to do. It's definitely not. No, and I have to. I, I'll give a shout out to my parents because they they helped me. Because um, they and they helped me way more than they should have. Like mostly, I just needed. They have a van which fits more stuff than my small car, and mo- that's mostly what I needed. But like, so like I would have been fine if they just came there and like sat there and just hung out while I packed everything. Uh, but they really put in a lot of effort, and um, it uh, was much appreciated. So sh- shout out to them. Thanks. I was going to say, moving is never fun, but helping other people move, I-, I know that's like a bit. I feel like that's maybe even hack for me to get into, but it's like, it sucks. Like, it is not a fun thing to do. Uh, yeah, so. I-, I-, I went out of my way to avoid that. So, like, I-, I paid for movers, and, like, I moved the vast majority of the stuff myself, but then my parents helped me with the last bit. And like I said, like, I just needed the van. So uh, I I would have been happy to do it myself, but they... They went above and beyond, man. Yeah, yeah, they went above and beyond. They're good good folks. Good good parents. Um, Yeah, no, I I went and saw your place last weekend. You, me, and Greg watched some playoff hoops. That was fun. Um, But I will say it was a busy weekend, by the way. You and I went to a comedy show in... Port Chester, New York, at the lovely Capitol Theater. I, I did a little count. I've seen, I think, six shows there now between concerts and now the, the comedian. We went and saw Nate Bargatze. He has a bunch of specials on Netflix. I think he's got two or three on Netflix now. I think he has two stand-ups, two, like, full shows, and then uh, he has one episode of the stand-ups. So I think it's two and a half, we'll call it. Yeah, two and a half hours of content, pretty much, and uh, he He's great. I mean, he really, I thought he was hilarious. It is impressive that he puts on such a great show and he never does go blue. Like he never swear. It is a clean show. 
And it's just, it's shocking just how much comedy he can mine from just, I don't know. A lot of it is just based on kind of like his inadequacies and like making fun of himself. He's super self-deprecating. Um, but yeah, yeah. He, he kills me. And you, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but like um, I'm a big Nate Birbiglia, <coughs> excuse me, Mike Birbiglia, Nate Bergazzi, Mike Birbiglia. I'm a big uh, Mike Birbiglia guy and, and Mike Birbiglia, um, I don't know if it was a stand-up or, that I saw or maybe his movie, he talks about being a storyteller comedian because his first, his first comedy show was more, like punchline, punch, like joke, set up, set up, punchline, punchline. Uh, and then after that, he, he started telling more stories because it's, it's harder to rip off and it's like more authentic. And Nate Bargatze, I felt was the same way. He like tells, he tells stories that are funny and he tells them in a humorous way. And like you said, very dry sense of humor, very like self-deprecating and uh, very entertaining, very entertaining. Am I, uh, so we went, I went because Greg, my brother, who is a co-host on this show, uh, bought tickets to this show two years ago. And then I think COVID happened, so it was delayed a few times. And then his friend decided to get married this weekend, so he had to go to that wedding. So Greg gave me the tickets, and I went with my sister and my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law was like, had no idea who this guy was, but he went in and like didn't know he was, it was going to be a clean show, and he made, the, he made a uh, Nate Bargatze made a comment about that like very early on in the show and he thought he was joking. Just, yeah, it was really good. And like, it was a clean show and I, you know, it was very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that I'd had, I've held on to these tickets for more than two years is kind of wild, but uh, no, that was, it was a great time. Um, yeah. But dude, busy, busy time in, in my life right now, just with my family, like my my little brother, Mikey, if you're listening, shout out to you. He proposed to his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend. What'd she say? She said yes. Cool. Um, that was exciting. And then my twin brother had a, had a baby, a little baby boy, just a few days ago. So I got to meet him, little Wes William Piccolo. Uh, little cutie. Got to meet him yesterday and spent the afternoon. And, you know, so a lot of family time, a lot of good stuff. And, uh, yeah, on a personal note, I started a new job, you know, uh, I'm actually now working as the director of communications for John Boy Media. Ooh. The, the presenter of this podcast is now uh, is now keeping my lights on. <clears throat> so I don't know. I, I might have to watch out with what I say. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, yeah, <laughs> can't can't make fun of Jake anymore. I guess. No, that's actually very much part of the brand's DNA. That oh, is a, a very okay. very much John Boy Media. So, I mean, I think you know Jake sucks is like their motto. So. Um, no, but a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, you know, less exciting, I guess, is uh, <laughs> our season wrap-up of, of what the Knicks just presented us this past year. Um, I mean, you and I watched a lot of Knicks games, and it really makes you kind of take stock on your, on your life a little bit, like your life choices, <laughs> how you spend your time, your limited time you have on this earth. And we watched a lot of Knicks basketball and this Knicks team, you know, last year it felt kind of rewarding and there was like a, a communal joy to it this year, kind of the opposite. So Kenny, I'll, I'm going to just jump into some, uh, just a few high level numbers and we can kind of see where we want to go. But the Knicks finished the season 37 and 45. Uh, that was good for 11th in the Eastern conference, just out of playing contention. 
pretty pretty tough draw there. That's you, know, you hate to finish eleventh because you know finishing tenth obviously you get a worse draft pick if you do not advance to the playoffs obviously. Um, but at least you have that one high stakes game, right, with the play in, uh, at least one I should say. The the season kind of fizzling the way it did for us was a uh, you know, it was anticlimactic and and a little bit of a bummer, but what can you do? I'll say on the season, the Knicks finished with the 18th point differential. They were nearly net neutral on the season. They finished a negative 0.1 points per 100 possessions. This is per cleaning the glass, so it filters out garbage time. And then they've, they ranked 21st in offense in the league, 21st out of 30, and 12th in defense. So not, bad, not a bad defensive team, and I think those numbers really ticked up you know, in the back half of the year. The offense was really the issue this year. Um, so, Kenny, you know, I'll just put it back on you. Um, did those, any of those offense-defense numbers surprise you? Uh, or, I mean, do you have a, any good reason or explanation for why the Knicks struggled so much this season? In terms of numbers jumping out at me, I thought – I. I'm a little surprised that the defensive numbers were as high as they were because I feel like all year, you know, there was comments and we, we had talked about how this wasn't the same defensive team that it was last year. And it, it still wasn't, even if they were, what you say, 13th, because last year I think they were top three in deep, uh, defensively. But still, it's, I mean, I think that goes to, to you know, the, the way the Tibbs runs a team and it's, it's defense first. So I guess maybe I shouldn't be that surprised. Um, in terms of what went wrong, um, I think Greg nailed it. It might have been in our mid-year review of what was going on. Uh, but basically the biggest thing is like Julius Randle wasn't one of the best players in the NBA this year. And that drop-off alone has kind of cost the Knicks a, you know, he was. I, I want people to try to remember just how ridiculously good he was last year. He was very he was shooting very well. He was scoring, he was passing, he was rebounding. He was playing defense, hustling, doing absolutely everything that you would want your star player to do this year. Um, I feel like there were, I mean, there was a lot of distractions. There was a lot of, you know, um, the back and forth with the media the, and the fans and the thumbs down and all of that. And, you know, some of the, the criticism he received this year was fair because he, you didn't see that same hustle that you saw from him last year. And, uh, you know, I think you and I have talked about this separately. I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but, like, the stories last year about every single time they got to a new city, like, Julius Randle would go find a gym and get shots up. And you didn't hear that this year. I don't know if it's just because they weren't winning or if because it wasn't happening. Um, last year, obviously, it was different because it, the, the world was more shut down during COVID. I don't know how much that plays into it and whether, like, people were, you know, involved in more extracurriculars this year and had less focus. I don't know the answer to any of those things, but I do know that Julius Randle was not the player that he was last year. And the second um, big issue was our point guard situation. Um, I thought that Kemba Walker took a lot more blame than he deserved for, you know, how things were going early in the season. And that kind of, you know, that trickled down throughout the season. And then eventually it ended with him kind of finishing the season away from the team. Um, to be fair to the, the critics, he could not defend anyone at all. But he was still playing, you know, de- decent offense. He, was, um, he, he played with effort, 
and you know he he never complained and he was just a very positive person around the team um but derrick rose going down for the season um very early on was because first 20 30 games when the knicks were struggling it was people were saying he has been the next most important player if not best player to this point of the season because that's how well the bench was playing while the starters struggled and him going down like that that did not help matters so between julius Randle's decline in you know just general basketball playing and uh derrick rose going out for the season those those i think were the two biggest factors i would point to for you know the, the problems the knicks had this season yeah man let's, let's drill down a little bit into the into the randall talk because uh you know we haven't like gotten into it that much as far as doing a little speculation as to like what the reasons were for Randall's massive decline this season. Um, and then I think there are two kind of questions coming out of it. And, and, you know, people seem to fall in one camp or the other, as far as who deserves more blame for this season going sideways, whether it's Julius Randall, whether it's Tom Thibodeau, the coach, whether it's the front office, I think those are kind of the three main sort of lightning rods for, for criticism with this team. And for Julius Randle, I think the first question would be like, why were we not able to put him in a position to be successful? Like, is this on, you know, clearly there were some different circumstances with some new players surrounding Julius between Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker in particular. Um, should, should more have been done to try and accommodate Julius or try and make there be a better basketball fit? Was there anything Tom Thibodeau could have done on that front? And then I guess once, and we can address that, but, but once it became clear that Randall was kind of a lost cause and that the season was really taking a turn for the worse, would it have made sense to instead of continuing to feature Julius Randle so heavily, he led the league in isolations this year. I mean, he was still, for all the talk of RJ being 1B or RJ taking over as the primary, when Julius Randle played, he was still the guy. And he was still, even if he wasn't the one taking the shots, he was initiating offense. He was the one trying to draw doubles. Um, so once the season was getting off its tracks, should Thibodeau have done something to change up the plan to stop going to Randall when he was struggling so much and to try something else that could have potentially worked better. So let's, let's tackle the first part first, Kenny is why, why was Julius Randall struggling so much and could Thibs have done anything from a basketball perspective to make that fit better. Like, I guess the first question is, is the reason he was struggling because of Kemba and Fournier being brought in? Like those are kind of it, right? So what do you think? Yeah. And I, and I would say probably yes. You know, I think there's an initial, there's an initial um, with any, you know, new grouping of people, there's an initial kind of feeling out period where, you know, you're, people aren't playing at their best. And I, I always bring it back to this and I think I've done it on the pod, but like when the Miami heat, got together with Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh. I think they started the season like 10 and 10, and they were just so much better than everyone else that that didn't make sense. Um, because it takes time to gel when you throw in like big major pieces. 
And so when you add in uh, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, who are both very ball-dominant players, to an R.J. Barrett and a uh, Julius Randle, who are also very ball-dominant players, there's a lot of people who need the ball in their hands, and there's only one ball. So, like, it takes, it takes time for that to mesh. Eventually, we did see Kemba Walker leave the rotation. Fournier, like, started out pretty cold, uh, but eventually he found his place. But, um, you know, it, I don't think there's any question that the, the front office went out and got – more talented players. Uh, but with a team like this and with Julius Randle as your best player, it's, I think, you know, a part of it is more fit than, than talent. Cause you, you need guys who fit around him more than guys who just, you just want to bring in talent. And I think you see that a lot with, you know, a lot of NBA teams is they try to bring in the best players possible. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit their play. I mean, Russell Westbrook going to, uh, to the Lakers, there's no question that he's a tremendously talented player, but he does not bring the shooting that you need around a LeBron James and an Anthony Davis. And so like that was not an ideal fit, you know, but again, no question. He's more talented than other players, uh, but his skill set doesn't fit along with those other people. So I think it was a little bit of that for the Knicks. And by the time that they had kind of gotten some cohesion and you saw like Fournier, by, uh, you know, midseason, I kind of rounded into form and was playing pretty well. Um, by the time that had happened, I think that, you know, the New York media, as the New York media occasionally does, had started to rumble. And with that, it kind of, you know, st- snowballed. And I think there was a lot of negativity. And I think that, you know, may have an impact on, on them. And then, you know, I know a lot of fans speculate that, you know, last year uh, there were no fans in the stands until the playoffs, and then the playoffs, you you know, uh, Julius Randle didn't do his best. So there's there's questions about whether you know he got spooked by the by the limelight being in New York because he, you know, a lot of people don't perform in New York, and it's because of the media and it's because of the fans, and not having those two, well, I guess mostly the fans to deal with last year, like it was possibly a little easier, and like again, like all of this is. No way to know, but like there's certainly a mental component to the game about how you know how you play and how confident you are and how your confidence translates to how well you play on the court. And I think that's you know it it is a confluence of all of these different things coming together and just kind of the perfect storm of a weird season, a weird kind of um, meshing of different styles of play from his you know comfort blanket of of uh, Reggie Bullock. Um, to, you know, Evan Fournier is a, you know, a better player, no doubt, but a different player. And so I think all of those things come together and, you know, he just had set such ridiculous expectations last year that I think, you know, going into the season, we're expecting a little bit of a, of a decline, but the, the extent of his decline this year is kind of, um, you know, beyond what I could have imagined. And I think it's because of all of these different things coming together. Yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, – Julius Randle was the worst player in the league. Like, I mean, as far as like, – he was the worst jump shooter in the league. Um, and so that was super concerning. Um, I mean, I, I do think that the mental component can't be under – can't be overstated because – you know, these are the same fans who were chanting MVP at him last year. You know what I mean? These are, these are fans who root for a hard-playing Julius Randle, a Julius Randle who last year was the, the kind of emotional leader of this team, the New York we hear sort of like 
he we rallied around this man and this year when things started to get a little when things started to go sideways and, and Randall started kind of to pout or point fingers or whatever it was fans did turn on him and that just snowballed like you said and and you know he started you know feeling negatively fans fed into that they fed off of that and you know overall it was it was uh it felt avoidable it, it really did like whether it was we were calling for Kemba to move to the bench early on um i think he could have been a great spark plug off the bench i you know we didn't need some some point guard to set the table for an offense that's going to run through Julius Randle like Emmanuel quickly we saw by the end of the season really looking well that's not to say quickly didn't have his struggles throughout the year quickly steadily grew throughout the year he he showed improvements as a playmaker as a ball handler uh learning to draw the fouls again after the rule changes like he he definitely improved as the season went along and he struggled shooting the ball to kick it off but look he he would have been a better fit to your point about fit like quickly could have been that guy and like Kemba is a skilled offensive player. He won, I know he won that player of the week and like people who seem to care about that. Um, but, you know, this New York team didn't have enough talent to be so choosy about the guys we were trotting out there. Um, but at the same time, like Kemba taking a backseat, taking a bench roll did open up time for guys like Grimes to get into the backcourt and to, and to show what he could do. And, you know, there were stretches during the season when Grimes was like, the most exciting thing that fans had to, to go on here, right? Like Grimes was kind of sustaining us as a fan base. Um, I don't know, man. It was a, like, obviously Julius Randle was a huge part of, of this season and, and the season struggles. But do you think that, uh, are you with me? That like Thibs should have kind of, once he'd seen that this Randle game plan was not panning out over and over again, that he should have, change paths. He should have pivoted and, and tried kind of a different approach and, and maybe a different club in his back. And I'm the, it's, it's such a hard question and it's, it's, it's an unfair one for, for Tibbs to be honest, because there's a question of what he should have done. And there's a question of like, what is the reality of, you know, the situation given that they just gave Julius Randall a large contract, you know, like, so in theory, all else equal, not thinking about any of that. Yeah, they could have moved away from him. But the Knicks as an organization, I don't think you could have moved away from Julius Randle that quickly after giving him that contract over the summer. So, like they, you know, I think Tibbs was kind of stuck because they're going to they're gonna stick with him. And after what they saw last year, I think he earned some leeway, a little more, a, a, probably a little less leeway than he got this year, but he did earn some of that. And it's just, you know, it's – it's a tough situation to be put in where you just gave a guy a, you know, a brand new long-term contract. And now you're talking about kind of taking away his responsibility because he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, go out and be back cutting people. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, he's capable of rebounding, but he's not a big offensive rebounder. That's going to create his own offense. He's a guy that needs the ball. And to the extent that's the case, like, the Knicks were kind of pigeonholed into having to use him in that role. And like, could they have taken a few minutes away from him and, you know, given that, given some of that to, you know, RJ running the show, like 
maybe, but I, I question how much, you know? Yeah, and so I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking now at stats in the uh, post-All-Star break segment of the season. So that was, you know, for some players, it was, it was over 20 games for most of the, the rotation guys, um, which is a decent sample, right? It's about a quarter of the season. Um, R.J. Barrett in 22 games after the All-Star break averaged 24.5 points, 6.2 boards, 3.8 assists. Solid numbers. Um, he shot just 40% from the field during that time, 31.6% from three on six attempts. But he got – he was shooting over eight free throw attempts per game and hit nearly 74% of those. So that's super encouraging. We have to talk about RJ. The future really rests on RJ at this point. I think we can agree on that, um, on his development – He's left off all these best of lists. He's left off all these, you know, top 25 rising players in, the, in under 25, all that. I don't know if I care about that, but like, do you, what are you hoping to see from RJ next season? What do you think is like a reasonable expectation from him? Are we going to be looking at an all-star player? Is he going to kind of be on the fringe? Um, what are you, what are you feeling on, on the RJ front? Yeah, I mean, I am a big RJ fan. Uh, I, you know, like you said, I like how he ended the season. I think he, you know, his numbers, his raw numbers are phenomenal for a guy his age. Uh, I think I looked it up at some point. I think he was one of, I think it was him, Anthony Edwards, and uh, and Lamelo Ball were the only people I think twenty one or younger who averaged twenty points this season. Um, so like that's you know good company for him to be in. And then, you know, he's obviously for a guard, he's, I guess he's more of a wing, but a good rebounder. And, you know, he, show, he shows flashes on defense. He, he loses focus sometimes. It's not always the best defender, but, you know, he, he shows capability. So what I want to see next year is just more, you know, consistency and efficiency. Because uh, I don't know if you, you just mentioned it, but I know we've talked about it, that his, his efficiency numbers were not great. Uh, this last year, both him and Julius Randle, I believe, were in the very, very bottom of efficiency on offense. So the extent that he can, you know, improve that, and I think, you know, like you mentioned, him getting to the line more will help that, um, as he did at the end of the season. And him, you know, his his three-point shooting um, regressed a little bit this year, but it was a very respectable, you know, 34.2%, which is good shooting. Um, not, not quite the 40% that he shot last year, but, you know, that that was, you know, a pretty incredible run he went through the last, uh, the end of last season. Um, but to the extent that if he is able to, you know, improve his efficiency, be more consistent defensively and, you know, um, control the ball a little bit more on, on offense, um, you know, setting up teammates, I think he, he is a fringe all-star. I don't know that I would expect him to make the all-star um, team next year, but I, I expect him to be, you know, in the conversation. Yeah, you. I mean, you nailed it with the efficiency stuff. Just because, like, you know, I think maybe people get sick of hearing that, but you know, he, there are reasons. He's 21 years old. Um, he really doesn't have a mid-range game to rely on at all. So he's if he's getting to the rim, he's going all the way to the rim, and, and defenses can kind of load up on that. And you know, even a if you look at like the some of the worst players at converting around the rim it's still around 50 percent like if you if you only make 50 percent of your shots at the rim that's bad 
for a shot at the rim. But RJ Barrett takes so many shots at the rim that like I can just see even if he gets to barely league average from the rim or even maybe a tad below league average from the rim, that's going to improve his efficiency overall so much just because of the heavy volume. Like if you take 10 shots a game at the rim and only, only make 50% of them, like that's, that's good. <laughs> like, you know, so I'm a, I do wonder if he could kind of cut out some of those bad shots at the rim by being able to have a pull-up game to your point, being able to set up teammates uh, more consistently. I think he can kind of excise some of these garbage shots where he's hoping to get fouled, but he's kind of going away from the bucket. So he, he has a hard time drawing those. And plus he creates so much contact himself and he does get to the line a great deal. So the refs can't call every time he gets touched, you know? So, so I'm with you. I think that RJ being a, a fringe all-star is, is very much in contention. I also wouldn't put money on him to make the team, but he'll be 22 next year. Like there's plenty of time for that. Um, what you'd want to continue to see are just the, the developmental steps, you know, getting that three point percentage. I, I'm not, I don't think he's a 40% three point shooter like he was in his sophomore campaign, but I do think he's better than what he showed this past year. If he can get that up to 36, 37% on that kind of volume, that's, that's good stuff. Um, He's not, he wasn't doing a ton of pulling up still, though you did see him uh, you know, kind of take some, some more shots off the dribble this season. It wasn't a substantial amount. Um, you know, I, I think for me, I'd, I'd rather see RJ develop a pull-up mid-range game just to keep defenders on their toes and keep them from loading up on him attacking the rim. So uh, I'm... I'm an RJ believer. We, you and I both have his rookie cards. We have his stock. Like we're, we're, um, we're all on him, but I think we can move on. Let's just go through the young guys and sort of how they looked at the end of the season. Um, Emmanuel quickly to me was the, the next most impressive uh, young guy because, you know, in those games after the all-star break, he put up 16 points a game, nearly five assists, 5.2 rebounds to just one, 1.3 turnovers. That's, a, that's almost a five-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio for Emmanuel Quickly post-All-Star break. Um, he, got, he finally found his three-point stroke. He was hitting 38.3% on over five attempts per game, getting to the line a bunch. He's always so good at the line. Uh, and I think most importantly, like numbers aside, what you saw was just a player who was figuring it out, who was figuring out how to be – a primary initiator, whether you want to say that's a point guard, I don't care, a, a lead ball handler. He was figuring out how to be a, an extremely effective player with the ball in his hands at the NBA level. Some of those games towards the end didn't matter. We saw him do it in games that did matter. Like this, this dude can play basketball. He's going to be an impactful player for years to come. The shot is real. Like I, I never – way like wavered on that I was never concerned about his three-point shot his stroke is just so compact it's so consistent um there's just not a lot of motion right he, he does have that low release but it doesn't usually bother him unless he's like trying to pull up in the mid-range right he's able to to get that look off especially when you have guys chasing him over screens people are behind him it doesn't matter where he's releasing this ball um 
it's just, it's repeatable. It's, it's smooth. It looks great. That's why his free throw is so strong. I'm just, I'm a, I'm all in on quickly too. Like I know we just said that about Barrett and I'm not trying to like have the Homer glasses on here, but Emmanuel quickly just has that kind of charisma swagger it factor. He's kind of a performer. He likes to put on a show for the crowd. And, uh, and that's what I like to see from, from the young guys. So are you, are you as uh, high on quickly as I am? I don't know that anyone could possibly be as high on quickly as you are, but I, I am high on quickly. Um, I, you know, he, he struggled mightily to start the season, but he closed out very strong. And I think that's what you want to see and kind of why you liked seeing um, kind of him getting those minutes um, towards the end of the year when he, you know, the, the rotation was a little bit less and, you know, some of the people were out for, you know, just maintenance purposes to, to end the season. And so he got that opportunity and he really showed a lot. Um, and I think, the, like you said, he's, he's a good shooter um, from three. He's an excellent free throw shooter. He's very crafty um, and, you know, with the ball in his hands. But what I like is that he has, you know, he can do a lot of things. You know, if, the, if they have other ball handlers in the lineup, if they have, you know, R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle um, running the ball, he can, you know, be a, a shooter on the, on the outside and, you know, be a secondary ball handler if needed. If those guys aren't on the court, he showed at the end of the season that he's capable of kind of running the team team on his own and, uh, you know, setting up teammates. And towards the end of the season, him and Obi developed a very nice uh, little chemistry, which, you know, seeing two of your young guys develop, that is is great. But um, I think that might be the thing that serves him best because, I, I you know, I don't think he's the best player on the team. So he's not going to be the guy that um, always gets the ball in his hands and he's going to have to, you know, fit in with the other players up ahead of him. And I think he has that ability to do that. And he has, and because he has the ability to do that, he'll play more. And when those guys aren't playing, he'll have the opportunity to, to kind of show his, his stuff a little more. And, you know, he'll, he'll have, he'll be one of those guys who every once in a while puts up, you know, 34 for uh, the Knicks on any given night. Yeah. And, and you're right to point out his versatility. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. He sets great screens for a guard too. Like the, the Knicks need more guys who can set screens and then he'll, he'll move without the ball. He'll, you know, whether he's, he's cutting to the basket, he probably does that less so, but coming off screens, moving around the perimeter, filling the gaps. Like he's, he's a guy you want on the court where good things happen when he's out there. Um, I just, I, I really do like his game. He's, he's an exciting player to watch. You know, I, I wonder whether he'll be next season's starting point guard. Do you think that's an absurd notion? Do you think that that's likely? I don't, I mean, I don't even know what I'd put the odds at, frankly, but you know, would, is, is it more likely that Alec Burks will come back and start at point guard next season or, or will quickly, or will it be someone else like a Jalen Brunson, a Malcolm Brogdon type? I say it is more likely that it's neither quickly or, Alec Burks, but I would say it's more likely that it's quickly than Alec Burks because that experiment was not a good one. I uh, know, you know, no hate against Alec Burks. I'm a big fan of his, and I think I support him more than most because he was put in a terrible position because he is not a point guard. And they made him the point guard for a large sw- swath of the season, which wasn't great for him. And it, you know, affected his scoring numbers because he's a guy that you know, is a, is a scorer off the bench and not necessarily the facilitator that they wanted them to be, or I guess they didn't, I don't know. I don't know what they wanted from him, but uh, certainly it wasn't a great position for him to be in. 
Um, but I, th- you know, I, I struggle with the idea of um, quickly as a, as a point guard, but, you know, I think with the Knicks, it, de- it all depends on what the, the structure of the team looks like. Like, I think we've talked about it before. If Julius Randle and RJ Barrett are going to be the guys who dominate the ball, you can get away with having Emmanuel quickly, um, you know, as a, I guess, tertiary ball handler and a guy who occasionally plays nominal point guard, but can also stretch the floor and play point guard for stretches, but I not, I wouldn't have him as the point guard for, you know, entire games. Um, but I think that, you know, he has the ability to do that, which I think, uh, you know, Alec Burks, I think didn't fit in that role as well. But I also very much expect that um, the Knicks go out and find a, you know, an established point guard because that has been um, you know, a position of need for so long that, you know, they, they need to find, you know, and it's such a tough position, uh, particularly in New York um that i think they need to find someone who is a little bit more established uh, but that's that's my two cents uh, i i very mu- much could see quickly being that in that position but i think my preference would be um you know to bring in a veteran so i think we've gone long enough without really talking about ob Toppin and and what he showed at the end of the season um in the in the 18 games after the all-star break that he played, I should say. He played in 18 games. He averaged 14 points on 56.6% shooting from the field, over 40% from three on four attempts per game. That's not nothing. Like, that's, that's some legit volume. It's, it's obviously not a, a great number of games, but he showed some real comfort out there launching from deep. Kenny... I mean, Toppin was what everyone was talking about. Fans wanted to see him. Fans wanted to see him in place of Randall. Um, he really showed some impressive moves, whether it was with the ball in his hands, moving without the ball, obviously in transition. Um, where are you at with Obi Toppin? So let me, let me lead into that with this. Um, before April 2nd, Obi Toppin's career high was 19 points. And then in the five games from April 2nd to April 10th, he scored 20, 20, 19, 35, and 42. Now, that's absurd. Um, I, I, I don't know that he is going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer in his uh, tenure with the Knicks. Um, I think that, as you mentioned, he shot absolutely out of his mind to end the season from three. I don't think he's that good of a shooter. I think he's a better shooter than he has shown to this point in his career, but I don't think he's a, you know, whatever he was shooting. I don't think he's going to be a, a 40% shooter, which you said he, he shot after the, the all-star break. But I think you do see kind of what he brings to a team. And he, I think he did show that he is a piece of a, of a good team where, you know, he brings energy, he brings, you know, rebounding, he cuts, he, he does all of the little things that you want from kind of a young guy. He, he gets the, the crowd energized. And so like, those are all things that I think will carry over the, the amount that he scored, I don't think is a sustainable thing. So I think he, he will probably next year, if he plays well, end up, you know, how much, how would he end up averaging this year? Nine points. I would, I would have guessed next year he averages maybe around 10 to 12. So a little bump, but not that much. And the biggest blocker for him is that he plays the same position as Julius Randle. And, you know, for all the reasons I said before, I don't 
foresee us cutting into Julius Randle's minutes too heavily to give more minutes to Obi Toppin. Now, if Julius Randle hypothetically is not with the team next year, it opens up a whole new level of possibilities. But you know, that's just speculation. I have no, I no insight to the Knicks front office. I don't talk to them with any regularity. You don't. So I, I do not. I, I try. They block my calls. I have received several complaints that I should stop doing that. Um, joking. None of this has ever happened. I haven't even attempted to reach them. Maybe they would take my call. I don't know. Uh, but the, if Julius Randle is not on the team next year, it's, it's a whole new you know, field of opportunities for Obi Toppin because he is very much a power forward. Like, I, it, it would be a struggle for him to play like small ball five or you know, a large three. So he is firmly in that kind of power forward range, and Julius Randle is also pretty firmly in that power forward range. So it's it's, I just you could you could scratch a few more minutes for him here and there, but I don't see him getting kind of the tremendous burn that he needed to to get those you know twenty to forty point games, which was over 30, 30 minutes in each of those games. So yeah, and I I don't think that he needs to. Be, I mean, first of all, he was scoring those points as like not really the featured guy. You weren't seeing him get Julius Randle style post-ups and ISOs. Do you know what I mean? Like he gets these points, whether it's on putbacks, it's on cuts. It's a lot on, on in transition, right? It's kind of, he scores these points where he just like accumulates easy buckets. It's, it's very un nixy right? The Knicks have been one of the slowest teams in the league for a long time. they kind of pound the ball in the half court. They, they've been, especially the last few years, been going to Julius Randle and post-ups and ISOs. Not a lot of off-ball movement. Toppin blows that whole thing up. Like, Toppin is constantly moving. Um, probably my favorite thing about him is just the quick reads he makes. See, the ball does not stick in his hands. He's, he catches it. He's swinging it. He's doing a DHO. He's setting a screen. He's rolling. He's kicking it out. Like, he's just constantly moving. There's constant motion. And players feed off that. They know, like, when, when, a, when someone dumps it off to Julius Randle, they're like, I'm only getting this now as, like, a bailout, what, like, if he absolutely needs it last second. You know what I mean? Like, Obi Toppin, there's a whole different mindset when he's on the floor, and it's just a sharing mindset. The ball just pings around. And I do think he's, you know, him and quickly, but him in particular is kind of a fulcrum of that. And I – you know, it's not like people think of Obi Toppin as a spectacular passer, but he makes the easy pass, and he does it quickly without any hesitation, without any second guessing, without any pounding the rock or, like, looking to get his. He's just – I mean, I can't <laughs> – I've belabored it enough. The dude just moves the ball, <laughs> and the Knicks need ball movers. movers. So um, I don't think he needs to sustain – that level of scoring or anything in approaching that level of scoring for him to be an effective player. And I think he just will get his points naturally in the course, in the flow of the game, because that's kind of who he is. He's not, he's not going to be getting post-ups and stuff like that. It's just not, you know, he'll be getting putbacks. Um, he'll be getting kick out threes. And if he can hit even 35% of threes at the power forward spot, like that's a fine number. Um, I guess to your point about playing the same position as Julius Randle, the highest paid player on the team, um, 
it's tough. Like it is tough. I know at the beginning of the season, I think we, we set over unders and I took the over on Ju- on Obi top in minutes. I think we set it like close to 20 and, um, and Obi finished the season with what, maybe 17 minutes per game. Um, I think it's going to be hard to, to justify leaving him off the court. If good things continue to happen when he's on, when he's in the game and they do seem to right? So whether that means dropping Julius Randall's minutes just by a couple from, I mean, from 35 to th- star players play 33 minutes all the time. Like that's a fine number to average. There's two extra minutes right there. Um, and then you look at playing them together. And I know you said like that they can't like, and that's part of the, the issue with, with Tom Thibodeau's st- stubbornness there. Are, how many bigs are really going to crush you or going to kill you if OB Toppin or Julius Randle are your center? Like those are two big guys. You know what no. I mean? Uh, let me just jump in there and say I think one of my we talked about this earlier in the season and one of my biggest concerns with that is that Obi Toppin is not a stand in the corner three-point threat and I think at the end of the season he showed the ability to shoot a little better like I said I don't think that is his game I don't think he's going to be a knockdown shooter but if he if he can shoot well enough to draw some coverage and you know just command some respect from the three-point line then I think him and him and Julius Randle fit together a lot more. Because if not, then you know there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of congestion when Julius Randle tries to barrel into the paint. No, if you're buying Obi Toppin minutes right now, you're doing it because you think that the shot is at least semi-real, and that and for that very reason, he is not a stand in the corner shoot guy. But can he be a stand in the corner shoot guy for the four minutes per game he plays with Julius Randle? And then all the rest of the time, he's the cutting, you know, rim running guy. Yeah, I, I think that that's potentially on the table. So, you know, it's up to the coach to get creative and figure out minutes to get your best players on the floor. And I think that Obi Toppin has made himself a case. I, I agree with you that, like, towards the end of the season, things get wonky. Teams are tanking. You're getting – I heard – I forget where I heard it. It was on some podcast. Someone threw out a stat where, like, an absurd number. I think it's Benji Ritholtz on Knicks film school saying that like an absurd percentage of players career highs come in the last week of the season. Weird stuff happens. So, you know, but I'm not enamored with Obi Toppin scoring. It's everything else that he does. It's the energy. Um, And so, yeah, I'm a, I would just hate to see the Knicks just run it back next year. Um, and another kind of part of the struggle and, the, and we're gonna get to the next young guy in a second and that's Cam Reddish is that like Cam Reddish is kind of a power forward Cam Reddish is probably best used at the power forward position yeah he can play wing he can play the three um, he's I, I think he's built for that too but if you're trying to make the most out of him out of like trying to create space on the floor Cam Reddish has the length and the size to be a plus shooter at the power forward position. And the way this roster is constructed, it's like that that's going to be all but impossible, I think. It's going to be impossible to have those three players at power forward. Now, if one of them should happen to not be on the team next year, I think it opens up possibilities. But I also think that Cam Reddish has, like, Obi Toppin, that's all Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin can only play power forward. Cam Reddish is best use is probably a power forward, but he can slide over to the wing, stand in the corner, and then play defense on the other end. He has that ability that Obi Toppin doesn't. So I think like he's not in the same 
not quite the same situation because he has a little more flexibility with where he can get his minutes from. Um, but it's not, you're not going to put them both in, in the best position to the extent that you know, they're on the court at the same time or, or with Julius Randle. Well, you're hearing rumors that last season. I, I mean, I, I think I read some reports that Cam Reddish was um, not necessarily like wanted or coveted by Tom Thibodeau. That that maybe Tom Thibodeau was like felt a little put upon that the front office went out and got Cam Reddish and felt and, and you know kind of put the onus on on the coach to play him when maybe there wasn't a place for him or, or maybe he that wasn't best in Tom Thibodeau's eyes. Um, that wasn't giving the Knicks the best chance to win. I just wonder if uh, there'll be any carryover on that front, right? Like, Cam Reddish did not play a lot of minutes, and when he did, it was because of injuries to guys like Quentin Grimes and because whether it was COVID or, you know, when there was a full, healthy rotation, Cam Reddish wasn't really a part of that. And that's concerning. I mean, again, the Knicks gave up a first-round pick for Reddish. He's tw- only 22 years old, plenty of talent. Um, you know, you could say this, you can make a lot of those same claims for Kevin Knox too, but I don't really want to put those guys in the same breath. Uh, I certainly don't want to do it yet. I'd have to see a lot more of Cam Reddish before I do that in good conscience. So I don't know, Kenny, do you expect Cam Reddish to play, to be in the rotation next year and to like play legitimate minutes? All, all of my answers are, are the same and it, it comes down to roster construction next year like if again I have no insights onto Julius Randle but like if the Knicks decide to move on it's a completely different calculus than if Obi Toppin Julius Randle and Cam Reddish are all on the same team if that's the case I expect them to play not more than 10 to 15 minutes a game though that's tough man that's tough and the thing is like I'm over here kind of operating under the assumption that Julius Randle's back that like trading him would be selling really low, like selling at the lowest possible point, really, on a guy who was all NBA last season, second team. Uh, his contract is not that bad. It's actually like for a player of his skill and talent, it's actually a pretty good contract. He just happened to have like the worst season of his career last year. I'd be surprised if the Knicks moved him in the offseason. I've certainly been wrong before. Um, but I'm kind of just going by the assumption that he'll be back and that, you know, where I think that the real question is going to be roster wise is with Mitchell Robinson. Um, I know he's up for, is it restricted free agency, Kenny? Uh, I think he's a straight up free agent at this point. Cause I think they had the option think he there was something that at the end of last year something could have happened and he would have been a restricted free agent but that didn't happen so I think he's a just a free agent at this point well huh I mean I could be mistaken so let me look into that while you yeah well, I guess I'm, I'm wondering just kind of like what if he's actually a straight free agent I'm wondering what the odds are of him coming back at all um yeah he is an unrestricted free agent Wow. Uh, you know, I should probably know that, but I'm not a huge like front office roster construction guy. Uh, I don't know. I'm, if I were to make a bet, I would think he's not coming back. It's uh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a legitimate possibility. I think part of it has to do with um, 
you know, the he, he, he certainly developed in his Knicks tenure, but the, not the amount that you would have hoped. Um, I think he's going to command some, you know, not insignificant amount of money uh, this, this offseason. And the other thing that occurred was Jericho Sims uh, came on, and he's not the player that Mitchell Robinson was, but for the amount that he's getting paid, is it worth, you know, paying Mitchell Robinson a significant amount more to do, you know, marginally better? And I don't know the answer to those questions. And, you know, there's also people talk about, you know, Rudy Gobert, and I, I don't think that's happening to the Knicks, but people – People speculate, so and I've been around before, so who knows what's happening there? But I, I, I just don't. I, I know that that Tibbs loves loves his centers, and I know that you know Taj Gibson is probably going to be here until he's he's fifty, and Nerlens Noel, I believe, is still on the roster, <laughs> and Jericho Sims, Jericho Sims showed some promise this season. So, with all of that, I like I think it's tough to to justify. You know, it, it depends on what his market comes in as, and I and I'm a big Mitchell Robinson fan, but um, just I see it as a potential just salary, you know, casualty. There's some games where Mitchell Robinson's the complete game changer, force on the offensive glass, just you know, really making his imprint on the game. And other games where he does like kind of nothing, and you're really hurt by his inability to like catch and pass on the move or. Um, I mean, certainly make a free throw. Um, yeah, like Mitchell Robinson, he's, he's a pretty maddening player. Like, I, I don't really know. I think overall he's a good starting center. He's not like above average at least, um, which is kind of all we could ask for when, when the other guys on our roster, like Nerlens Noel, who got himself paid. I mean, who knows, dude? Like, Noel is a complete mystery to me. If he can come back and be healthy, he's only 27 years old. He'll be 28 next year. Like, if he can come back and give 20 healthy center minutes per game. If you have that, and then I assume Taj Gibson will always be on this team, and then Jericho Sims, I think that is a competent center rotation. Yeah, you're not going in and, like, having a better center rotation than other teams at that point, but it's not going to kill you. But again, that's if Nerlens Noel is healthy and looks like, you know, the Nerlens Noel that earned that contract versus the one we just watched or didn't watch this past season. Right. So um, yeah, a lot up in the air there. We didn't even talk about his decline, like being a reason for this, this season's struggles. Cause like Nerlens Noel was an important, impactful player last year and like defensively was probably better than Mitchell Robinson, you know, and there are very few moments where you could point to Nerlens Noel and say, Oh, that guy did something good this game. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a major minus, uh, a true, true, uh, just a hole, a hole where we had a great player, like a, a solid player last year was someone we could trust game to game just wasn't there. Um, I don't know. Uh, we could talk about Quentin Grimes. I, I think kind of what you see is what you get there in terms of the three and D when he was out there, he was steady. Like he's just, I don't think there are really any surprises. He, he showed a little bit more off the bounce, a little bit of passing, but 
that's not what you're what you're impressed by most i think it's just the the steadiness the defensive intensity the ball pressure and then just being able to stroke it and the confidence to he did a little bit of pulling up off of the dribble for three but just as a catch and shoot guy being able to extend from deep deep too like that's that's where you get like the real spacing the extra little bit of spacing is when quentin grimes is spotting up from the hash mark and like has to be reckoned with out there i think that uh you know that's kind of what you're what you're digging with quentin grimes but i don't know is there anything else you you want to say about him no i think uh, you know he is one of those guys who i think could be a very solid piece on a team you know he's he's just a solid player he doesn't make any you know crazy mistakes he like you said he hits shots he passes the ball he's just a solid fundamental player that could serve as a, a glue guy to a to a good team and you know it's it's still early in his career so he has we have a lot left to see from him but you know, I don't think you can go too high or too low on him at this point he's he is what he is you know he's a solid player all right man well I think we've we've talked about this Knicks team kind of long enough it's like I mean are there any the last question and I kind of put him in the same boat as Quentin Grimes is, is Deuce McBride and whether, whether we have any strong feelings on him. I think my, my thoughts are like, I don't know, you know, he, he could be a guy who, if he, he plays some more minutes, uh, you know, he's, he's shown tremendous potential in defensive end. He's shown a little bit on offense. Um, you know, at, at Westchester, certainly he, he lit it up offensively. Uh, but at the NBA, NBA is a different level. And so, you know, I, I, you saw sparks, but, I don't know, you know, how, how well that carries over. And, you know, I think I don't know that I've had seen enough of him to, to make any strong judgments, but certainly, you know, I'm a big defense guy and I, I have been impressed by his defense. I mean, look, yeah, the reason I didn't bring him up really is because he hasn't really earned Tom Thibodeau's uh, trust yet. And whether that's justified or not, it's just kind of a, the case. Um, I, it's it's unfortunate, but um, I just – I don't know that we're going to see a ton of him next season. Um, I I kind of hope I'm wrong. I mean, I, I like I like watching him play. I just think the way the circumstances are, like, you're not going to – even with the, the struggles to find a point guard, there were plenty of opportunities, I think, to play Deuce more minutes this season. Hopefully we see him progress and, and develop and get better. Um, but I, I would be surprised to see him in the rotation regularly next year. And that's just kind of where I'm at. I, I do like his game. I watched, I mean, a ton of intensity on defense in guys' jerseys. It really changes the, the energy, the chemistry of a game. Um, I think he gets his teammates amped up on defensive possessions too when they see him working that hard. But um, for – I just don't think Tom Thibodeau trusts him as a ball handler, as an offensive player. So um, hopefully Deuce proves him wrong in the season to come. And I guess we'll see. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll do some, some podcasts later on in the summer to, to talk more about the draft, who we're targeting. I've been able to, to dig a little bit into a few prospects. Um, so you could check out my, my uh, Twitter for I've done one breakdown just on Wisconsin's Jordan Davis. Um, I I've got some other guys kind of in the hopper. So excited to get those out, but I'm excited to talk about them with you, Kenny, but um, yeah, that'll be in the, in the weeks and months to come. 
of this long off season. Uh, and I guess we have time for just a quick what else is on segment. America's um, favorite sub podcast. America's favorite sub podcast. What else is on Kenny? What have you been watching? Uh, so I'm, I'm slowly, very slowly still moving ahead on lost, which has been, I have no idea what's going on still almost. I think I'm almost done with the first season. <laughs> um, I've also picked up uh, a few other shows. One being um, Moon Knight, the Marvel show on on Disney Plus. I was a little late to it, got busy with this whole moving situation, but uh, just recently um, caught up over the last week or so. I think there's only maybe six, five, six episodes though. Thoroughly enjoyed that, like I do most of these Marvel movies and TV shows. Um, but good, good stuff so far. Um, you know, I think it's a little, little different from. What, uh, what you've seen historically, which I think a lot of the, the Disney Plus shows have been a little different from, you know, the historical th- way they've done things and, and each other. Uh, but I'm good stuff. What about you, Tom? What's happening over there? Uh, Rose and I have been watching Winning Time, the, uh, the HBO show about the Showtime Lakers, the Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar era Lakers. Um, you know, the, it, it's good. It is entertaining. Um, I, I do tend to like really wonder how much they're sticking to the, because it's based on a book that's like a reported, you know, maybe, a, maybe a little salaciously told from what I haven't read the book, but I've heard it's like a little, uh, you know, a little risque, but I, at the same time, it's a book by a journalist who like had to fact check, you know what I mean? So well, I'll, I'll say Tom, um, I have heard, or I've read specific things saying that like their whole, cause we, we talked about this separately. Jerry West like came out very strongly against the show for good reason, based on how he is portrayed. And their defense to that was like, this isn't real. This is entertainment. And so I think a lot of it, like based on a true story, very lightly, but a lot of it is, is uh, for entertainment purposes. Well, it is entertaining, and I, I do find myself going on to basketball reference and like looking at the box scores of the games that they show sometimes to see, like, did Magic really play well in this game? Like, did, did Dr. J, did Larry Bird go off in this one? Like, I like seeing kind of you – know, this stuff is extremely verifiable, you know? Like, they're, they're referencing specific games during the season. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun to, to follow along, and it's an Adam McKay show. So same guy who did don't look up the big short, um, you know, so he's got a real certain style to his stuff. And, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's crazy. I mean, Jerry Buss is doing just outrageous stuff. And I'm just like, this is someone's father, grandfather, like, you know, people know him and they're just showing him through this. Some, some, like I said, salacious things. Um, but, at the same time, fun, fun programming, good thing to watch on a Sunday night. Uh, and then I watched some, some NBA playoff basketball. I just watched the, the Warriors pull one out in Memphis in game one of that series. Very fun game. Uh, came down to the wire. Clay Thompson hit a huge go-ahead three, but uh, missed a couple, a couple free throws, got, got a little tight at the end there. Um, Draymond Green got ejected towards the beginning of the game for like. It was a soft ejection. That was nuts. Uh, yeah. Couldn't believe that. 
I wonder if that'll get like rescinded. I don't know if he got like, did he just get double technical or? I think it was a flagrant too. I thought but yeah, I could yeah. be, I could be mistaken. I, based on the foul, it looked nothing like a flagrant too, but <laughs> you know, that's, that's where we are. But yeah, man. Uh, also watching a show on Hulu called the great based on Catherine, the great, it's a comedic dramatization of uh, some Russian history. And uh, that show also very wild. Their, their portrayal of Catherine the Great, her, her husband Peter, just, it's something else. Uh, you know, the show, I don't know if I'd call it great. It's, it's like kind of just fine, but it's something to put on, something to put on. And that's what we're all doing here. That's a, you know, you're trying to fill a hole that the Knicks left us here. Uh, entertainment, man. It's all about entertaining yourself. Yeah. Well, Kenny, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hop back on the, on the mics here and pretty soon. And we'll, we'll talk off season, talk about who we expect, you know, maybe we'll dive a little deeper into the Mitchell Robinson situation. Um, point guard, Jalen Brunson, your boy, Villanova. Boy. We'll, we'll do it all. But uh, if you're listening, we appreciate it. Do the, do the review, do the five star, do the, leave a comment. Um, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at talking Nicks. You can follow me at, Tom underscore Piccolo. And uh, we really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon. So, hey, let's go Knicks. Knicks too.